As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Yeah, kissed. You're listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. With the DJ Scratch, that means we're live. How is everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grass Factor. Martin, alongside me, we have Mr. Ray Ito and Ryan DeMay. Gentlemen, how are we doing? A little housekeeping real quick. Uh, If you need to be hands-free and you want to listen to this and you don't want to sit and stare at 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 a YouTube screen, Hop on over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Apple Podcasts, whatever, however you do it, however you want to get it done, you can do that. That way, uh, it doesn't necessarily always have to be right here in the uh, in the boob tube in order to see it. Uh, that being said, gentlemen, how in the hell are y'all doing? Happy Easter, since we are recording this on Easter. Happy Easter. And uh, yeah, for those people that don't want to sit and stare at us for 90 plus minutes and get all those insatiable and uh, unnatural urges looking at our faces, I completely understand. And yeah, it's nice to have choices, right, Matt? You know, as we were talking yes. here in the uh, in the pre-show and and talking about, you know, there's the, there's the uh, religious part of Easter, but then there's also the commercialized part with the Easter bunny and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's a day that, uh, we should all celebrate, but also a day that the people that are into feet and, uh, bestiality can celebrate too, because, you know, rabbit's feet and Easter bunnies and all that kind of stuff. They're in weird stuff like that. There's probably going to be some people Look, that are excited. Serious question. Serious question. Do you find the Easter bunnies that are out, uh, and available for picture taking, whether with kids or however, do you find them incredibly frightening? absolutely frightening and uh yeah it's i don't understand how that's not traumatizing children in any way shape or form in fact uh, you know again i guess you have to have some commercial symbol for it you know but uh my god yeah the smile the the creepy smile on their face that's usually Mm -hmm. uh what does it for me my goodness look at look at at wallace here Poor, poor doggy. I mean, uh, Wallace is probably thinking, get me the fudge out of here. <laughs> I think Wallace is saying is uh, 30 seconds on each side, and that would suffice for a fine dinner. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, and kudos, kudos to, the camera, to the cameraman for finding the one, the one picture that catches the drool not running down his face as the dog is contemplating uh, devouring the Easter Bunny for uh, a quick lunch snack there that's that's Uh, because it it was taken with an iphone matt best camera you got uh, i I, I, I don't know if it's the the quality of the cameras it is the skill of the camera person so uh good good work to you john cameraman uh, the the video i just otherwise uh, oh go ahead go ahead alternate thought is that uh wallace is thinking i wonder if ray has got any good recipes for rabbit 
<laughs> I bet you Ray does. I bet you Ray's got some good oh. recipes for rabbit. Rabbit too. Okay. I do. Throw that video up there real quick, Jinping. <laughs> this is how I think of all of us as adults, as grown human beings, find the Easter Bunny to be. Yeah, the fucking oh, Easter Bunny breaking up fights. Fuck yeah. So, for those of you that are watching at home, there's a guy in an Easter Bunny costume that has removed another drunk gentleman's shirt and is beating the holy hell out of him. So, the, the Easter Bunny is wailing ass on some drunk dude, shirtless drunk dude. That's incredible. We can't, be, we can't be sure beyond a reasonable doubt, though, that that's a man inside an Easter Bunny costume and not the actual Easter this is true. Bunny, though, Matt. This is true. That, that could be the <laughs> Easter Bunny. That could be Dylan Mulvaney, for all we know. I love the... I love the 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 employee is now walking up to say, uh, "Excuse me, Easter Bunny, you're going to have to tone it down, okay? You knock guy out. <laughs> let's let's call it what it is. You need to take it easy yeah. now." <laughs> there it goes. That is a, that's a that's a hell of an ass whooping there. I, I'm not going to lie. I take a picture with that Easter Bunny, but that's about the only one that that earned that right in my regard. <laughs> Bloody knuckles, Easter Bunny. That's going to mess up the keychains though. So <laughs> fortunately, anyway, how about we go to those headlines? Uh, yes. This is just the news, and uh, so we've been talking a lot about the uh, the Asian milf oil and um, and the situations that's uh, continuing to show up up there on that there Lake George situation, whatever that is, uh, somewhere up north. New York, and I, it, it blends into some other state as well, too. I can't, I can't remember everywhere it runs, but I know it's a big-ass lake, right? And, yep. uh, and so uh, every, everybody in one particular community was up in absolute freaking arms over this, uh, over, over the uh, Eurasian water milfoil and um, <laughs> water milfoil. I, I can't even say it now without, without laughing. But, um, and, and so they, they went up in arms, they got a bunch of signatures, the, and, and they had a bunch of experts come in and talk about the, uh, the good versus the bad and, the, and I, any sane or reasonable person that read it was like, okay, the good without a doubt, uh, outweighs the bad, the bad being, we let it go. And then we end up destroying the entire ecosystem, which is like the legitimate concern of doing nothing about this is, is destroying the ecosystem. But uh, because the word chemical is bad and therefore um, whatever you want to attach to a, a, a negative connotation to it, negative meaning, whether it's reality or not, uh, was done so. And so uh, anyway, uh, they, were, they were able to block it. Well, it turns out that everybody else up and down Lake George was like, wait a second, hang on. Now, we're interested in actually doing that. Uh, you see, we, we <laughs> give a shit about this lake. And uh, and so we're, we're kind of concerned about, you know, having having a whole bunch of loss here so uh i know they're not into it but we're into it can we can we take a look at it so anyway we have owners of rv campgrounds and all kinds of things that are uh that are uh uh, uh now all of a sudden starting to get interested and in saying hey you know what let's let's take a real deal look at this and uh and now what will be interesting to see is um uh, how this ends up shaking out the other communities that are not for it right and uh and so you know, this is this is one of the justifications either for or against it. Uh, so Adirondack Council spokesperson John Sheehan said he was disappointed the state planned to appeal the decision and reiterated concern about the potential long-term consequences of the uh, of the herbicide. Right. So um, 
uh, you know, basically the uh, the council spokesperson Sheehan here is like, you know, no, we can't use chemicals. Uh, he said the widespread interest in the herbicide across the lake underscored why the council called on the APA to conduct an adjudicatory, adjudicatory, I don't know how to say that word, hearing in Lake George and indicated the council uh, uh, would press that position in the Lake Luzerne proposal. This is not an emergency, she said of the MILF oil infestations. It's a slow motion problem that needs to be carefully thought out, and that is all we're asking for. I And... Again, if anybody's been following this, the one thing that that is obvious is that it has been well thought out. And to to pretend like it hasn't been, in my opinion, is the most naive approach to this that I've ever seen. Uh, literally, experts were called in from from all over the place. They talked about pros, cons, uh, uh, health risks, uh, uh, and long term environmental risk. And if if the if the 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 primary concern is the uh, uh, environmental impact. And uh, overall environmental health of this waterway, then it makes absolutely no sense not to consider this herbicide and to continue to fight it. And just uh, and so what ends up happening when you're dealing with nature is that the longer you sit on something and stare at it uh, without taking any sort of action, the faster it gets out of hand. That's just the rule of nature, right? And then all of a sudden, you're caught holding your wee wee in your hand, wondering why this is all you have left. Um, and I can put it into another example that that I think other people may uh, may be able to comprehend a little better. So uh, take in, uh, for, for instance, is that you want to launch a marketing campaign in spring, but you're not quite pleased with how all your marketing, marketing literature comes together. And you keep changing it, and you keep changing it, and keep changing it. And then all of a sudden, May 1st is here, and you missed your entire spring. And then you're like, well, shit, now what do I do? I was like, well, it was a slow motion problem that I continued to uh, uh, take a look at and reanalyze, uh, re reanalyze, reanalyze until, well, damn it, it was too late. And uh, I think, I don't know, potentially something like that could happen here. Y'all taking a look at this. Uh, am, am I am I out of control over here? Am I being am I am I an extremist for uh, my viewpoint on this? What is left to to consider about this that has not been considered up to this point? Here's a quote from the article, and this is uh, coming from Eric Tsai, C-S-I-Y, weird name. Uh, quote, if any lake association wants to experiment with uh, Procelacor, which is the herbicide in question here, that is their prerogative. But we will stand fast to oppose the use of the aquatic herbicide in Lake George until all outstanding issues have been resolved, C said. There are simply far too many unanswered scientific questions regarding the potential adverse effects on the lake's water, plants, organ and organisms to move forward at this time. I'd like to know what these questions are and it, it, to what extent they haven't been addressed, either directly or indirectly, at this point. Like, it's I, the I, same I, questions being asked over and over. Is it going to harm us? Which continues to be answered over and over. And what's going to happen to the fish? We've gone through this several times, and that would be the only thing left that would uh, uh, not be answered for the hundredth time. Uh, that would that would slow the roll on this. We we've covered the economics, we've covered the environment, and we've covered uh, downstream uh, quasi long term effects on it, right? And <laughs> uh, and and that's just reading the he the headlines and browsing through articles. We've been able to deduce that, but yet still here we are with bukus of unanswered questions. Still, eh? oh, 
I don't think it's a matter of unanswered questions. You know what the problem is, Matt and Ryan? Hmm. These jackasses. Here we go. Don't like the answer that they're getting. That's the actual uh, problem here. Okay, they don't like. They don't Touché. like it. You see, what they would like to hear is, Priscilla Core is ten times more toxic than cyanide. You shouldn't do <laughs> that. That's the answer yeah. that they want to hear. Uh, mm. or it is an instant carcinogen like say two four five T. That's the answer that they want to hear. They don't like mm. the fact that this herbicide has literally passed all the hurdles that would otherwise keep it from being used because you know what if this happened say 40 years ago i can see three possible scenarios as to dealing with this weed and none of them are as safe as the Procella core. Number one, fumigate the lake with acrolein. Two, apply endothol. Or three, apply 2,4-D. And notice why those three things are completely not even on the table. Because all of those things are actual toxins. It, so here, here <laughs> and I, I actually wholeheartedly uh, uh, agree with you, Ray. I mean, you, you just I couldn't agree with you anymore uh, because you're, you're exactly right. And and you know, I think and you think about it from the standpoint of an interrogation with the police, right? How many times, if they suspect you of committing murder, for instance, and you're there and you don't have a lawyer, mm -hmm. are they going to ask you the same questions over and over and put together hypotheticals using the read technique of, oh, perhaps it was an accident, right? You didn't mean to do this. It was an accident that happened. And they're asking you the same question over and over, expecting a different result to see if you will waver in your answer. And that's exactly it right here. And the, the beautiful thing about having biologists in here to answer, the, answer these questions is that really there's, there's only one answer to each question. And, uh, and if you don't know, you don't know. And uh, what you do know, you do know because that data is already there and backed up and you just literally re report the data, right? And, uh, and so it, how this continues to shake out and why it's creating such a stink is, uh, I, I think, a, a, a perfect example of, uh, of uh, uh, wh whatever is occurring uh, uh, nationally as a whole, right, of, uh, of, of, of uh, uh, tribalism and, and partisanship of of just you know whatever you have in your head you're gonna you're gonna uh, steer into it at a million miles an hour and there's nothing that's going to deviate from course <laughs> or open your mind to any other suggestion um you know whether whether you're a fox news or a cnn reply guy uh you know <laughs> in, in effect you're the same thing it's just you're on opposite sides of the spectrum and, and what's beautiful is that neither of them know they're the exact same thing and uh but but you know in reality they're just race car drivers at a million miles an hour headed to a wall uh so it is what it is uh, I'm just the guy in the stands that's waiting uh -huh. for a big wreck. Oh, I'm instigating both of them. I'm like, you're driving slow <laughs> as hell because you ain't Dar Dale Earnhardt, are you? You, yeah, you don't I, look I'm like Dale Earnhardt to me. You better speed up. I'm, t I'm, I'm the guy that's saying, you know what, you, you bastards? Let me show you all how to crash into a wall. You want to do <laughs> it? Let's do it. <laughs> Idiots, all hey, of them. Ain't no P-footing going around here. 
in a better place. That's right. Uh, fertilizer prices have continued to fall. Uh, so we, and and so re- retail fertilizer and spot prices are 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 declining. And uh, you know, kind of good news, bad news here is that uh, our nitrogen sources are back down, encroaching uh, to 2021 20, uh, type levels. And uh, so we're definitely seeing some stability there. Uh, uh, phosphorus and potash are still up uh, from 2020-21 levels uh, fairly significantly, but um, they they are on the drop. I wouldn't consider them in a in a steep decline, but they are gradually coming back down. Are they ever going to come back down where they were? I don't know. You know, again, we're still pending uh, uh, mine. Uh, uh, improvements, uh, uh, production improvements from, from nutrient mines. And, and we'll see if that ends up coming on or not. And, uh, and you know, how, how all that shakes out of the watch now, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint of things getting weird. Uh, if anybody caught the OPEC news that, um, OPEC is going to slash production again, and, uh, and slowly we're going to be, uh, fading away from the dollar. Uh, I, I would say that there's nothing, uh, I, 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 nothing that's going to be predictable about this, at least over the next six months or a year. So, um, you know, if, if you can, if you can lock it in at spot price now, which I, I, there's hardly anybody here that's going to be able to buy thousands of tons of fertilizer at one time. So locking in spot prices is probably not uh, whatever, but if you, if you are uh, concerned about, about buying the spring, then, you know, don't, uh, because this is what, what you're getting right now is going to be, is going to be a good price. And, uh, and it is what it is. And then, you know, how, how it shakes out over the next year, who, who knows, uh, you know, the, the main drivers of, uh, uh fertilizer prices are, are going to be oil and gas. Right. And, uh, and, and mainly it's natural gas that's going to have a big influence on that. But uh, for whatever reason, when you do see, uh, the, uh, the, the rise in fuel costs, because so much transportation is involved in this, uh, you do, you do see spikes in fertilizer as well too. Has not hit yet, but that's not to say that any moment you might see, you know, a 10, a 10% spike, which is, uh, you know, fairly normal for, uh, uh, um, uh, input commodities to be able to do in a day or a moment or a second. You never know. Uh, and then lastly here, uh, fertilizer killed 50,000 fish in a lean, in a, in a Lynn County Creek. Uh, so this is up in Iowa. Uh, a landowner has to pay more than $20,000 after an investigation showed fertilizer pumped from the property killed more than 50,000 fish in Dry Creek last fall. Uh, he must pay a $10,000 administrative uh, penalty and $11,400 in restitution investigative co- costs. Uh, and so basically what happened is, is that they have ammonia tanks and, uh, and they have uh, kind of like a, a gravel catch basin for this. And, uh, and so they were pumping uh, a cleaned out area or, a, or they cleaned out the tanks or something and were pumping that water into the gravel uh, catch basin. Well, the problem was is that, uh, that that gravel basin flows directly into Dry Creek. Uh, and uh, so anyway, follow the, the, the tile, the tile drainage right into dry Creek. And, uh, and there was a shit ton of dead fish in it and a neighbor noticed it and was like, huh, I Oops. better call the DNR <laughs> and find out what's going on here. That's a shitload of dead, dead fish. And, uh, so they come out and investigate, they're doing a little due diligence there and they come around and, uh, uh they notice a gravel area and an ammonia, uh, an ammonia nitrogen storage tank. 
And uh, and then they're like, huh, this is interesting. It smells like ammonia. And they're like, well, yeah, but we thought the water was clear because, I mean, we thought the water was clean because we didn't see any contaminants in the water. Well, I don't know if y'all have ever seen nitrogen dissolved in water, but does it have any color to it? Just straight nitrogen, whether ammonium nitrate or, or UAN or nope. urea? Nope. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. Has anybody ever has anybody ever seen what's called aqua ammonia, which would be yeah, similar I, I, to what was probably released here? Because aqua ammonia, if you didn't know any better, would look exactly like water, except caution: don't put that in your fucking aquarium, and for Christ's sake, don't drink it. <laughs> and it just saying. and it stinks. And I and I love this. Uh, you. Know, you know, is that, is that like, huh? Jurgensen noted a strong ammonia smell near the tile mm-hmm. intake and tests of the ground nearby mm-hmm. showed ammonia nitrogen was present. Huh? Wow. Damn. How, how would you know, uh, if you, if you give it the visual test, which is just asinine to begin with, I mean, that is the biggest bunch of, oh shit. I didn't know I'd looked at it and it looked clean to me, uh, but it stinks like ammonia and in, in, you know, smelling salts are ammonia based, right? Because they, they yeah. are absolutely abysmal to, to get into your sinus cavity, but oh, oh boy here, he, he thought he pulled the wool over their eyes, didn't he? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, no. If y'all are enjoying this and, uh, and, and look, let me tell you. The majority of the fun that goes on goes on offline uh, because yeah. because w- one we have we have a a series of of characters and you'll hear us reference them from time to time. Uh, you know we have we have representatives of of Canada. We have representatives of uh, well you know a worldly band and, and we'll hear you'll hear us mention him by by handle uh, driver uh, as <laughs> one of the most insane human beings that's ever walked the face of this planet. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got, we stubborn, insane. Insane. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yes. Insanely stubborn. How about that? We'll, we'll try to, we'll like try to be better. more precise with our words. Um, and, uh, and so if, if, if you, if you, if you hear us talk and you, and you, and you want to like, man, I wonder what that is. You can ask us. Head on over to burn and return. Time's up, it's over. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Head on to patreon.com forward slash burn and return and consider supporting our, supporting our show. Uh, look for four bucks a month, literally it's cheaper than a beer a month. Uh, or you, d- depending on what, what level of support you want to be able to show, if you can sh- show it great, if you cannot continue doing what you're doing and have the best time with us, right? Please. Uh, if you listen to us and you absolutely hate everything we're doing, no problem. Turn it off. Uh, no harm, no foul does not bother us. I promise. Uh, the, the one thing we are not interested in is curtailing our content to you. Uh, who is not enjoying what you're hearing. But if you do hear what you're doing, then we will accept feedback. And we'll, we, we'd love to talk to you. And we'd love for you to be a member of our community. And you can do so at patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Uh, that being said, uh, and, and, and really, this is, you know, we have we have assistance from the patrons to be able to put put uh, the different things we do on the shows together. And, uh, and you know, I, I know we, we call upon uh, or are uh, sent from the community uh, things that we cover in one of our most controversial segments, and that is Jono's Turf. And uh, and uh, for those of you that are wondering what exactly Jono's Turf is, is that we will take content that has been found online, and we will run it through the eyes of three different uh, turfgrass professionals that come from three different segments of the industry, right? 
And, uh, and so what, what that allows us to do is uh, coming from three different viewpoints, we're going to be able to uncover is that what we're looking at actually valid uh, is what we're looking at inherently good or bad. And, uh, and ultimately what kind of critiques or, or how would we approach things differently than we witnessed in these, um, in these uh, uh, on, online segments here. So uh, without further ado, uh, Demay, take us on over to Joe Knows <laughs> Joe Knows Turf. Yes. <laughs> I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe Knows Turf. <laughs> Joe, he does no turf. Uh, you know, the people that uh, we're going to feature tonight, because this, this, this is a special one because it's almost like, uh, uh, like a mini-series on this one, and it's like two competing points, point-counterpoint, from two people that uh, they know each other, but I'm not sure if they know turf. It might, might be a stretch. So, without further ado... Let's go ahead and watch the first part of our uh, twin bill Jono's tour feature tonight, brought to us by Alan Hain Lawn Care. Oh, sound, JP. Need sound. No. Nope. I promise you, this was working five minutes ago when I tested it. Yeah, it's right. Oh, here we go. We call this Murphy's Law. In that high spot there and the low spot. So what I've Fine. got is I'm an inch of difference in that high spot there and the low spot right there. So this is the area I need to concentrate on. Now, one thing, I'm not going to be able to get this all done in one application or one shot, right? This is one of the things you guys have been concerned about is, well, is this sand going to turn to, is this going to turn things to, to, uh, to concrete and everything else, guys? It takes Portland cement and sand and aggregate to make concrete. So we're not adding Portland cement here, we're just adding sand. And we're not adding like a seven or eight inch sand cap here. It's a couple, two, three inches at a time, just bringing up a couple low spots here and there. That is not gonna hurt your ground and it's not gonna turn it to concrete. I don't care what you read on the internet. Sand is the best leveling agent for small spots like this. All right, now when we did the zoysia, you remember the sand I had was a little Plus. bit wet. Okay. He does make a good point there that it is something that does come up often about sand going onto soil, creating concrete and everything like that. The only thing that you need to be mindful of in that particular setting is that you, if you cap it, if you just go over the top of it, you'll be fine if you use a correctly sized sand. And we'll talk about that here at the end about the science of how this all works. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's continue. And pretty much whenever you buy sand at the store, it's, it's going to be damp. I guess they do that maybe to make it pack into the bags easier. That was fine because we could just put the wet sand on and then just kind of, we used a broom really just to spread it in there. With this though, you're not going to be able to broom this sand in because the grass is so tall. So you don't want wet sand. What you actually want is really dry sand. And you can see I've, I actually opened this bag up right here and I let the sun get in there and it dried the sand out. That is what you want. Um, I've also been trying to mix some of the wet sand around in this in this wheelbarrow here with with the sun shining on it and dry it out. But really, that's what you want. See how that is? That's how you want your sand, not like this wet stuff right here. This this you could use, but it's not quite as easy. 
Now I will show you one quick trick and maybe you can find this where you are. I have an Ace store by me that sells sand that they keep inside of a sealed shed all the time and the sand is bone dry every time I buy it from them. And so if you can find that little secret, that's really the best place. Let me show you the sand that I get from my local Ace over by there. Okay, so this will give us a chance to look at some different sand too because people are concerned about that. This is actually probably what most of you all have seen, premium play sand. This is what I got at Ace. And then this I got at the big box, and this is called paver sand. Like I said, this paver sand came wet. Look at how beautiful this is. Look at that flow. That's gorgeous. And that's because Ace keeps it stored dry. And that's really what you want. That's gonna spread a lot easier in our tall grass. But this will also give us a chance to compare sands. So come closer. So if we look at these two together, and Again, dryness is the key. I know I keep mentioning that repetition is the key to learning. It's just gonna make it a lot easier. I've been trying to dry this sand out for a few days now and you can see I wasn't super successful. So why it's so important to get pre-dried sand if you can, but we'll go ahead and compare these two. So we have paver sand and we have this play sand. Looks like the play sand is a little bit finer, but either one of these is going to work just perfectly because again, we're not using this for any other reason except for its leveling properties. And sand is the best leveling agent you're gonna find for a lawn. Okay, so here's our low spot right here. Let me just show you why I keep talking about you don't want wet sand. So if I take sand that's wet and I try to throw it in there, what you'll see is it just sits up on the top. And so now it's just matting down all the long grass. So what do I have to do? I have to go in there and try to get rid of it somehow. Whereas when you watch the dry sand, it'll literally just disappears. Whoa. See, so you can feather it in there real nice. And that's what you do is you feather that dry sand into those low areas and it builds them up. And this is something that's gonna be done over time. It's not like we're gonna mound this up this one time. I got a couple bags today, a couple two tree bags tomorrow, next week, you know, whatever. It's like a constant thing. Whenever you see a low spot, you just chuck some dry sand in there and let it seek its own level. Okay. My head hurts, Ryan. My head hurts. <laughs> just, 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 just go ahead and take a bong rep for me real quick and, and calm yourself down because the next one's going to really, yeah, I, yeah, yep, yep. Hold it in. Yeah, there. <laughs> All right. So there's a few things here that uh, you see a lot of these videos and uh, this one here, uh, there's there's a couple of issues I want to just point out, and you know what? This is one that the people be like, man, you're being you're being too scientific. You're being too this, too that. Okay, can sand be a good leveling uh, agent? Yes, it can totally. in certain situations. However, I would not use it as that singular tool just to do that and raise up a small area like this that has a one inch deflection. Okay, like what he's shown here in this video, one, one and a half, whatever it is. Okay. The second thing is, is that a 50 pound bag of this sand, it's going to take literally, uh, I'll go up and do the math here for you in a second, just to let you know where that we're at. But I, I, I already did some math like that and it was horrifying. Okay. It was horrifying. Right? What was it? What, what was it? Okay. Each bag of sand is approximately half a cubic yard and half a cubic normally foot, you mean. when half a cubic foot okay so, so 
correction, half a cubic foot. And so in order for me to obtain a cubic yard, which is approximately how much sand I need to correct imperfections on, I want to say a 750 square foot area. You know how many, uh, mm -hmm. you know how many bags of sand I'm looking at? At least, at least 50 bags of sand, Ryan. 50. Yeah, so my, my rough math here tells <laughs> me that for a 10-square-foot area, right, 10-square-foot mm -hmm. area, we need a little more than a bag and a half to graze that area, two in to three, theory, two, one, inch, two to three. one inch. Yeah, yeah. you're going to need two to three Just, in real life. Mm -hmm. Okay, and at 550 a bag, that gets expensive real quick. So I guess my message here is a couple of things. Number one, Play sand is not the correct material to do this. It really isn't. It's, it's ubiquitous. It's easily available, all that kind of stuff. However, what we know about how sand behaves in turf grass systems is that it's this, right? Is that if we want to have uh, sand that behaves the correct way, right? There are specific sizes of those sands. So if you pull those grains out and you kind of flip through and you get that real fine stuff that's going to go down in your canopy really well, that right there, those smaller particles is what's ultimately going to slow down drainage properties and create issues right at the surface when you're talking about interfacing with soil below it okay so that's one thing there the second thing is it's just the cost on this so if you have a lot of spots to uh to level i highly encourage you to look at getting a bulk sand that's delivered and that you can go and, and do these series because you're talking about orders of magnitude of you know uh, uh in the dozens right to lower your mm -hmm. effective cost on doing this. So that's that one thing. All right, that's the second thing there. The last thing is, it's just, you know, if you have some spots that are that are low, that need to get fixed or something like that, you know, I, I would advocate using what you have in terms of, if, you, if you're growing on soil, get some soil and, and you can top dress in with that if it's dry, right? Cut your sod back, raise your sod, do it the right way, don't, life hack this and i know that everybody's gonna say it's just my lawn i don't care and you know what if that's fine that's right you want to go that's fine i'm giving you the correct way to do it all right so we can talk Matt, more about that in a minute uh, but first oh go ahead go ahead go ahead ryan i gotta bring up one more thing about spot sanding a lawn rather than sand uh -huh. capping all right you know when somebody just spot sands a lawn if that sand is extremely different from their existing soil composition, they can literally create spots in the lawn that dry out faster than the rest of the lawn. Oh, absolutely. Don't, don't ask me how I know about this because my other reason for calling in the dump truck with five yards of sand in it is to fix someone else's fuck up because their their lawn is like a lasagna lawn or yeah. a lawn where for goodness sakes ray you forgot time's up to it's mix over. the eggs and the and the flour and the sugar together for the cookie dough it's all separate you know all right now time's up it's over on alan but let's go over to his friend and our friend too <laughs> from uh from ta all, straight from taj in louisville coming to you live here's yeah. uh john perry <laughs> behind me right here kind of went over the uh heavier spots where it was like a little more low 
I am going to drag the level lawn across it real quick. But for the most part, I think I could probably brush this in. Look at this filter. And I'll use just a push broom for that. And then I'm going to grab uh, some sphagnum peat moss and get that down here as well. And kind of get this huh? whole thing sort of covered up. Nah. Some more. What? I actually did uh, a Where's that bong? Take another rip. Overseeding application need on it. this um, last, <laughs> like right before winter time. Big. So there's seed in here that's going to be germinating this thing starting to warm up. And I'm thinking that if I just get a nice layer of that peat down, and then I'll do some more sand later. Good. Um, I can yes. kind of keep this thing warmed up over the next few days as things peat moss kind of get a little funky around here again. So. So now it's just smooth, smooth, smooth. Get that stuff just as flat as you possibly Ray, can. Ray, get your you tissues ready. It again. <laughs> for so what? now it's time for the peat moss. <laughs> I just take this, a couple of bales, throw it across the whole thing, smooth it out. Oh, oh shit. All right, oh, now, shit. for those of you listening on audio, <laughs> JP is on his, uh, this is John Perry from Lycology. He's out on his putting green at home, and he has taken a bale of peat moss and has literally covered his green to the point that you can no longer see grass at this point and he's kind of raking it in with the level on and he's got at the bottom of the screen it says these tips are for all turf types all right let's let him go as i can hang, hang, hang on just before we go into this it, I, one of the things he alluded to is that he's he's doing this to preserve the color that he's established at this point because he's got he's got bent grass uh and he's, mm -hmm. he's way up in the mountains and i guess is expecting snowfall snowpack snow cover or something and uh which is not necessarily a bad thing for for bent grass and you know it's cool season grass it could tolerate you know a fair amount of shit thrown at it so uh, it's not something that i would wig out about so i guess this would be just as soon as the snow melts uh there's there's a a playing surface ready to go i i guess um, it says this is do not level your lawn with sand until you watch this, but the, so far the sand application that was done does not appear to be an attempt at, at leveling just based on like the odd. Okay. There's some, some general, general rules that we, if you see straight lines, uh, uh, in, in nature, that's not natural, right? Um, you just, you don't typically see that. And, and the fact that there were just box boxes, uh, perfectly square boxes of sand that were here. I, I, this is not a leveling project. This was like literally, let's get a little bit of sand down and run my level on across it, and uh, uh, and for the purpose of showing it on video, because it's not that was not leveling, and and this is no. not like a, a a top dressing, you know, for for uh, infiltration or uh, playing surface. Uh, because it was nowhere near and even enough distribution, you know, a lot of times you'll see sand, uh, top dressings done, you know, throughout the course of a, of a, of a, uh, growing season on a, on a golf green, for, for instance, uh, even, even when you're not aerating, they may come in and just dust, you know, an eighth of an inch of sand or a 16th of an inch of sand across, across, uh, across the greens. That, that's not what happened here either. So anyway, I'm confused by the title of the video, what we've seen executed so far. And then the, 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 the peat moss thing is really interesting i guess do is have this pre-mixed with your sand which would actually be better and it yeah. would be just a lot more easy to work with but you can do it this way as well and then add another layer of sand and just start flattening everything out 
So just remember the idea here is to get some high CEC material in with that sand, especially if you continue to top dress with sand or level with sand year over year. You're going to want to do this. So quick recap. Just make sure if what? you're building up with sand, if you keep leveling what? and you're doing this over and over oh more God. and more, work some peat moss in there. It's gonna make a big difference. It's going to hold more moisture. It's going to help hold nutrients better in oh, that sand bed shit. that you're filling up. And ultimately oh, your lawn shit. is gonna benefit from it. But then I, something doesn't feel right about any of this. I don't. I don't. Camera tricks. Feel. Pause. It's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good, good, good ending. It's a, it's a good, it's a good movie. I don't, I don't get it, but it, <laughs> do you Is get it any movie that it was all really? a dream? No, I don't. Was this an April I, Fool? The, was this an April Fool? Just asking. I don't know if it was or not. I, I, when was it put out? Two days ago. Was it April one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think it was. April 7th. Yeah. So I guess he was insinuating so, that it was all a dream. So don't do this. Is that? I hope or, I'm not quite sure. The, the bottom line is this: is he did it. So I, okay. if and there's if you go down the comments, go down the comments there. There's some there's some interesting ones here about. Uh, let's see here. Keep going. Keep going. Ah, here's uh, pow. Is it Power Man? Power Man Five Thousand. I wonder how the Miramichi Green. Oh, what'd you do? Oh, there you go. Where'd you go? There you go. I wonder how the Miramichi Green Peat alternative would work with this application. I've been using it instead of peat moss, and the lawn is living it. Loving it. Sick. Uh, I'll have to mix, try mixing it with sand next year. If I can click the replies here real quick. I think it would work just fine, says John. We'll have, the, we'll have a bag top dressing material for the general public later this year. Or early next year, we've been stockpiling in bulk and getting it to pros. Interesting. All right. So anyway, uh, bottom line is this: is that if please, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever kind of turf you're growing, don't do this. Why? Just don't do this. Well, okay. A, a couple of reasons why. I'll let Ray touch on the uh, properties of of. Uh, Sphagnum peat moss in particular, but just from a just from a sheer management standpoint, when we're talking about oh we we've got to incorporate high CEC material to help out and balance out the amount of sand that we're putting out, it doesn't <laughs> quite work that way. And so, you know, if if you're going to do that, you typically blend that stuff together, right? So if we were building something new or if we were top dressing something old. We wanted to have an organic component in there. We wouldn't build it like a fucking birthday cake, right? You know, tiger stripe it. We would actually blend those two materials together. And to the extent that our our mix, if you will, would be somewhere in the probably maybe 10, 15% tops on the organic. Mm -hmm. And that's volume to volume. So that's a, when you go volume to volume on a material like peat, right, which is super, super light, that's not a lot, okay? There's very little that actually goes in there. So this right here is going to create some problems. Ray, why don't you tell the folks at home some of the problems that it would create? 
okay, here's what you're looking at. If you have high organic matter, especially on low-cut turf that is intended to be maintained in a sand media, one, you have settling, two, you have shrinkage, three, you have excessive retention of moisture, and four, you also have creation of an anaerobic condition because you see guys do you know why golf courses aerate their greens and sometimes their fairways take away all the cores and then refill those core holes with with clean sand that has nothing in it do you know why they do it they do it to mitigate and dilute the high CEC organic matter that is building up underneath the greens and the fairways. So mm -hmm. I've been watching this entire video and I'm thinking, goodness me. So this guy is going to throw down and put on the exact very fucking thing that all of the golf courses are trying to get rid of, which is more organic matter. And I know for myself too, uh, I personally am often on a quest to get rid of organic matter in a lawn as well. I mean, I'm trying to get rid of the shit, <laughs> literally. Well, so uh, this is all things this considered. Is <laughs> yeah, all, all things considered, uh, two techniques here that I think uh, deserve some scrutiny in the sense that mm -hmm. uh, a, a little bit overplayed, overused, and not necessarily these are uh, the first one is a hack that is not a good hack it's 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 mm. not helping anybody it's costing you way more money than it should do things the right way if you want to do something add some topsoil and just use that if you if you can find some good uh, dry clean topsoil if you can't cut the shit out lift the sod up put soil underneath and let, raise it the right way that's the right way to do it all right second thing is with the with the peat again there, there's a whole host of issues that become that become uh management issues Notwithstanding, especially you know, when uh, layered, so, right? And and I want to clarify yeah. that there's there's two totally separate things between a homogenized mixture and a layered yes. effect. Yes. Yes. And and so yeah. even to the point that if I'm if I'm using materials like oh say like a grub preventer, right? And I've got a layer of heat moss sitting right there mm. near the surface. You better darn well believe it is not going to, the active ingredient will not make it through that layer and down into the root zone where it needs to so that the plant can take it up. So that's just one example. So again, management decisions, there's always some trade-off. There's always something downstream that whatever you do is going to affect short, medium, or long-term. These seem like very, very short-term focused things that maybe don't set you up for long-term. So hey, if you're going to sell that house or you don't give a shit, or whatever, or if you're a, a contractor and you know this is a one-off and you don't give a fuck, I still would implore you to do the right thing. But the bottom of the bottom line is the store moral of the story here is that these are not good practices. They deserve to be highlighted, right? For not being good practices. And people should know that. So listen, John Allen, if you're mad at us, I'm sorry, but listen, just do better. That's it. So 
Peace got, out, Girl Scout. One, 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 thing, one thing real quick that I'm, I want to bring up, and that if your concern is a lack of organic matter in sand, uh, first off, that, that, that's a golf green, right? And typically those are grown on sand-based growing systems. And you might integrate some peat as a homogenized mixture into it. Like we said, layering, uh, you know, peat by nature is a hydrophobic material, meaning it repels yep. water. Uh, and mm -hmm. also with the high CEC, then you're, you're creating uh, an extreme number of sites for things to not pass through it, right? So not only can you uh, alter the infiltration rates of water, uh, like uh, Demay also pointed out, you can also mitigate uh, infiltration of, of uh, herbicides or pesticides or, uh, that, could, that could potentially be caught up in that layer. Then the second piece of this is that if you're concerned about a lack of organic matter, uh, you know, we have uh, the Asian Turf Grass Center. Dr. Michael Woods has a whole project called OM246 uh, that talks about rates of accumulation of organic matter at two centimeters, four centimeters, and six centimeters. Uh, and that's how you base how much sand you need to add uh, per, per top dressing or through the course of a season based on rates of organic matter accumulation. In effect, what that proves is that you are naturally going to accumulate organic matter over a period of time just by having something growing, even if it is purely sand. You will accumulate okay. organic matter. And so the point yep. of adding peat moss to something to add organic matter is really counterintuitive because you're naturally going to accumulate organic matter uh, in, in a sand-based growing system at an ample enough rate to be able to improve things like water holding capacity or, uh, or water holding capacity and, uh, and, and also nutrient retention, if that's what your concern is. Okay. And the final piece of this is, uh, looking further at Michael Wood's work and then this other golf super, I think he's in Canada. Those two have this done means. work on this yeah on mitigating and reducing the amount of organic matter accumulation in a sand-based green and do you know how those guys do it and how how i do it similarly so that i increase longevity of my sand caps stop over fertilizing no nah. no yeah Whoops. that would be put, that's not good for business yeah. yeah you put down too much nitrogen and you're going to make more problems than you're solving. And then finally, speaking of doing more work than you need to, you know, when I see people massaging and fucking with their sand top dressing, it drives me nuts. And you know why it drives <laughs> me nuts? <laughs> Typically, when I am working with a sand cap or a top dressing on a lawn, once I have it roughly into place, all I do is I just take out the water hose and start watering until all that sand sinks into the turf grass. And you know what? This works especially well on turf grass that is not at green height. And I'm talking about you, Alan Hain. Rather yeah, than he did water, he he did water at the end. No, but then he spent all day fucking around with it, and then he watered it for me. I just throw the sand down and then start watering. Save work, God. <laughs> the uh, here's another statistic to keep in the back of your head is that uh, say you pull uh, a soil sample and your soil sample reports soil organic matter, uh, uh, and say you take a four inch uh, sample. 
uh, at mm-hmm. the uh, top two centimeters, your total organic matter is going to be five or six times greater than uh, than uh, whatever you read on that on that four inch test, right? So, say you pull a four inch test and you come back at one point five uh, on your uh, uh, soil organic matter test, right? Which is you know I would say probably what you're going to see in a in a sand based system uh, that's that's at least reach establishment. And uh, we'll say times five. That means at two centimeters, you're going to be somewhere around uh, seven and a half inches. So approximately one inch down, you're going to be, uh, I'm sorry, seven and a half percent organic matter. And uh, and then as you as you take it a little bit further um, into that uh, 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 four centimeter range, uh, uh, four centimeter depth, uh, you know, two inches, you're going to be you know, about half of that. And then, you know, you'll be at your lowest point, uh, as you, as you get down to that, uh, uh, 10, 10 centimeter range. Right. So, um, again, if you're, if you're concerned about organic matter at the surface, which was the, the whole premise of what John was talking about there is that, you know, you got to get in some organic matter with it. Well, right there already at the surface, you're five to six times greater. So if you're at one, then, you know, you're probably going to be at five or 6% organic matter at the, at the surface, which is already bordering on the high side of organic matter. I think most people, whether you're an organic person or not, will, will tell you that anything in excess of 5% organic matter becomes problematic, right? That you're actually retaining too much water (laughs) and uh, that in and of itself is an issue. And that's, that that's not me as a non-organic fertilizer person. That is 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 purely that's or, organic matter one on one people that are that are explaining to you that you know five six percent organic matter is going to be starting to hover around creating problems for you type of scenario. So anyway, <laughs> just one more one more log for the fire there. Mm. Yep, I mean that that's just uh, why you know my typical solution for lawn problems is. Either the bulldozer or a serious sand cap. And guess what I'm burying? I'm uh, burying soil that Okay. I was art- I was I was nervous about what you were burying there, Ray. I'm not gonna lie. That is that is artificially you know that is artificially modified to have as much as fifty percent organic matter in it. Okay. Yeah. 50, well, I mean, 50% organic matter, and then you're going to put a highly disease-prone grass on top of that 50% organic matter soil. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, you know. Uh, I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure plenty. Uh, let's check out what's going wrong on this week's burns. <laughs> Uh, I put this first one as a burn. Is it necessarily uh, a burn? Probably not, but there's a reason why. And this is from the Modesto B, and uh, and this is uh, the San Joaquin Valley Air Pollution Control District is offering Modesto residents an incentive for buying electric power lawn care tools as temperatures rise this spring, creating the possibility for smog once things really start to heat up. Uh, and in effect, you are getting rebates. This is what it, what it looks like. Uh, residents who apply for funds can receive up to $250 Toward a trade-in from a gas lawnmower to an electric-powered one under the program. Electric lawnmowers with a trade-in that have a purchase price of $200 or less qualify for a rebate up to $100. 
Electric mowers with the purchase price of up to $350 qualify for a rebate of $150. Applicants who uh, purchase an electric mower that costs more than $350 are eligible to receive a $250 rebate. Up to $50 is available when making a direct purchase without a trade-in of electric mowers and other electric yard care equipment, including edge string trimmers, hedge trimmers, chainsaws, and pole saws. Blowers are not eligible for a rebate under the program. Mm, That stings. Uh, because isn't that what kicked this whole thing off was blowers uh, for lawnmowers or other eligible equi- equipment that cost $100 or less uh, and are purchased without destroying old equipment. A rebate of up to $25 is available. Residents who buy electric equipment without destroying the old that costs more than $100 can receive $50 back. Uh, enhanced incentives of up to $500 are available in some Central Valley communities, including those of Fresno, Stockton, and Shafter. So two things. One, they did not include blowers in this. And then the other thing is what? The hell are they doing for commercial people? Because uh, if you're if you're yeah if you're spending three hundred seventy nine dollars on an electric mower, which I would say is a pretty standard price for an electric mower, then you're going to get one hundred and fifty dollars back. So effectively, you're you're getting uh, a new mower for one hundred seventy dollars. Well, what if you're a commercial guy and you're about to spend sixteen to twenty six thousand dollars on an electric mower? What 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 are we what are we doing there? Go eat mm, shit. That's man. the loudest that's, silence that's, I've heard in a long what's, time. That's what's, go, that's what's going to happen because you see, the deal in communist world is that <laughs> there are certain businesses that are ba- basically not to be encouraged by the state. You see, that is the downside of a centrally controlled economy. The centrally controlled economy determines what businesses it wants to encourage and which businesses it wants to discourage. And I'm gathering that uh, the powers that be in California do not like uh, professional lawn care at all. They despise it. So, But then here's, here's my final thought then. Okay, Mr. Paul Pelosi. Uh, I hope after you recover from the hammer hit you took to your head that you go out and you mow your own fucking lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Demay. Yeah, I mean, besides... uh hammer fucking your lawn uh i think you should uh <laughs> i don't know i it, th- this is going to be the reckoning that that every community or state or whatever you know political subdivision you want to call it is going to reckon with is that you know there is a massive industry within each one of these states that the, the funny part here's the funny part is uh you know right uh, most any municipality right in some way shape or form will use contract services with regards to pest control or mowing or landscaping things Mm -hmm. like that right Mm -hmm. i think that would be an interesting thing because sometimes uh you know it's depending on the size of the job and things like that you know they try to get um you know some of the larger outfits in there some of the big names that we all know and and all that kind of stuff and a lot of times they try to get you know, local or small businesses or minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, things like that, 
what a good way to prop those folks up and, and, and incentivize that by saying, hey, listen, if you bid on our stuff, you know, if you're uh, if you bid on it, we'll give you this rebate. And if you're successful, we'll we'll give you this kind of rebate. Right. Um, there's you know, I, I can't see that there's any sort of ethical issues there necessarily other than to say, hey, this is an enticement. Right. Just as you would have a tax abatement for, you know, uh, job creation or real estate development, something like that. I think it's a good way to do it so maybe you start there uh if you're a municipality and, and try out those ideas so i don't know what the right answer is but i think that's a good way to start right especially where uh communities are in need of these services already and wouldn't it be funny though is if you had you know a uh you know an electric uh inclusion and a ban of gasoline powered equipment and the contractor that you know you had Obviously, they can still use their old stuff until it goes bye-bye, right, that it can't run anymore. But it would be funny if you had these uh, all-electric communities that a successful contractor on some of their bids for mowing work was all gas, right? Yep, yep. I mean, that would be uh, the irony. Or, you know what my question is for these municipalities or any organization that pushes the mandate? How will they react when the contractor prices accordingly? Okay, because this is something that I am super familiar with in that due to various, you know, onerous, uh, you know, legal, legal requirements, uh, people doing work for the state or the city they mark up their their bids substantially versus dealing with a private individual. Yeah. I mean, it is built into a cost. And likewise, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so say this municipality mandates all electric and they put that on contractors as well. How will the contractor bid that job? To cover the costs because as my late mentor told me ray you're not running a non-profit organization you're here to make money <laughs> and that's where we're at right now is that it's it's going to continue to be an unfunded mandate and it's going to continue to put uh, these businesses behind that haven't done anything wrong they've operated as they should have and there's got to be uh, some give and take there. It, I, I don't know. Personally, I believe that in in a lot of these cases, a lot of these communities, that is this money should be pooled and given to professionals first, and then homeowners. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, it, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, but, only, but it, the it, last it, thing. Go ahead. No, you go. You go ahead. I was just going to say it only makes sense that way to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it does, because if you look at the lifespan on equipment, right, who's going to, who's, you know, piece of shit's going to run out of gas first, literally and figuratively, right? It's going to be the contractor that's running a zero turn until the fucking wheels fall off in like two or three years, <laughs> right? 1,500 hours mm -hmm. a year and then, you know, pitch that bitch versus, mm -hmm. you know, Joe's six-pack with his, uh, you know, Honda, you know, 216. That son of a bitch is going to last 15 years. Let him, let him live. I mean, they're going to say, well, it's dirtier. And it's, you know, it's got more emissions and everything. Like, I, I get it. I get it. But then you got to help but the people that what, do it the most. But what is the total amount of time that that is even going to be used in a month 
because you see, okay, I'll figure it this way is that for your average consumer, they're running that Honda 216, maybe, oh, I want to say at worst, maybe about what, 10, 15 hours a month, maybe, maybe 20 hours a month, where uh, us in the business, that same more, oh God, you know, let's talk about uh, at least 20 to 30 hours every week, every month of the growing season. You know, yeah. who has the bigger impact, right, Ryan? Who's got the bigger Absolutely. impact? Because I, I know damned well, uh, yeah, I'm lucky if I only put on 10 hours a month on a piece of, of my equipment. <laughs> Doesn't happen. <laughs> Doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. yeah, was, uh... What were you going to say, Demay? No, I, 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 nothing, nothing more than you know, this has to be something that, you know, government's ultimately going to be uh, supporting business owners first, the people that, you know, provide way more of a tax base. All, 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 there's just, uh, there's so many reasons why. So, hey, if, uh, if any of the politicians are listening uh, and you weren't put off by the uh, hammer of the skull uh, comment earlier, uh, you know, Come talk to us about common sense legislation around electrifying uh, lawn care equipment, and we'll uh, we'll consult for you pro bono. Our gift to you. Um, however, I'll I'll tell you this: that if <laughs> we we can consult with you on this front too, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee, some people are not cutting their lawns during the month of April. Um, and why this is funny? Why this is funny is that. Well, I'll just read it to you here. Uh, 200 homes of Davidson County residents are not mowing their lawns during the month of April. Uh, this is a no mow, no mow month, uh, uh, no mow month lawns. And they recruited 200 people to participate in this. And I just, I love this quote. I absolutely love this quote from Catherine Price. When we look at our landscapes, having native plants really helps to soak in an infiltration, uh, infiltrate water. Traditional turf grass has really short roots, so when water hits that grass, it doesn't soak in, and it actually kind of runs off, carrying pollution into our local streams and rivers. What? Tell me you're a master gardener without telling me you're a master gardener. <laughs> what the? Who, what? Yes, exactly. That is master gardener speak, if I've ever heard a master gardener speak, and it just drives me absolutely Ooh. bananas. Uh, you'll see little flowers popping up. You'll see bees and little insects going to those plants you're allowing to grow up and flower instead of mowing them down. Okay. Uh, I bring this up to say that, you know, as a family on Easter, what did we do today? We we rode around the uh, the, the dogwood, dogwood Arts Trails through various parts of, of Knoxville. And, you know, all these beautiful landscapings uh, that are full of, of dogwood trees and azaleas that are just absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful right now. The trees are all busted out. The azaleas are all busted out. There's flowers everywhere. And you know what? There's grass everywhere, and, and when you get out and you walk around, and some of these properties you can get out and walk around on or even take pictures on, is that it's teeming with insects already. I mean, they're flying on you in your mouth. They're flying all over your face. They're getting in your ears. They're everywhere. 
So to pretend to like having grass and well-manicured grass means it's the end of that is just a complete and total facade. And it takes some uh, 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 master gardener activist like Catherine Price here, bless her heart, uh, to to spread that kind of, of message that 200 other people then buy into it because of whatever level of conviction she has about, and I'm sorry to assume her gender, she may not be, she, whatever level of conviction they have, uh, they end up propagating onto uh, all the other 200 plus community members that decided to sign on to this program as well. So again, uh, it's just, it's absolutely fascinating that this is, is catching on as something that needs to be done. And if you don't do it, you're contributing, contributing to a problem. When uh, if you, this is what I ask everybody to do is get out right now this time of year and just go walk around in the grass, go touch grass, go look at it, go, go look at landscapes and look at look at nice lawns with nice landscaping. Look at nice lawns with nice landscaping with flowering landscaping. And tell me if it looks like there are no bugs anywhere around. Because if if you honestly see that or sense that or experience that, then your your eyes are closed and you're refusing to believe it because it's not what you want to hear. As I steal that from Ray earlier, it's just I don't know. It's frustrating to me that they think this is going to be the game changer. It isn't. All this is is an opportunity to put a sign in your yard. So you can point to your neighbors and, and claim moral superiority. I declare I am morally superior to you because I have this sign in my yard and I care about the environment and you don't. Okay, Matt. Am I that, wrong? That is a funny thing that, no, that's a funny thing that you should mention because, okay, here's what I notice about the landscapes that I maintain. They are normally full of butterflies honeybees, and also various birds, okay? I mean, there is so much wildlife uh, out there that I then have to wonder when I hear about the activists saying, oh, you chemical lawn people are so horrible, you kill everything. Well, explain that to the... Uh, butterfly uh you know visiting the flowers then please explain that to the butterfly or please explain that to the honeybees that yes they're visiting the tree that's in full bloom right now and oh by the way that flowering tree probably got an injection of imidacloprid sometime during the year just saying <laughs> Just seeing, <laughs> you know, I think there's there's got to be a, a reckoning. And I, I when when it comes to the folks that get interviewed for these articles, and uh, nothing against Miss Price here, they them uh, whatever. But the, the the point of the matter here is this: is that uh, it's good to have alternatives, but to just simply we are here. Here's the thing that that grinds my fucking gears about this shit is there will never be a earth or a country or a state or a city that does not have turf grass that will never happen in our lifetime maybe not ever i i'll go as as far to say it won't happen in in this millennia right because it is too important of a functional crop for so many different reasons that it will never happen right 
So to sit there and say that, yeah, like a lawn, it's got short roots, things are going to roll off this, that, and the other thing is patently false, right? So how you get to those people, I don't know. I think that the rather than sitting there and, and pounding our fist against the ground and saying, you got to listen to me, this is what turf grass does, this, that, and the other thing, is to you know maybe just make these folks realize, listen, there is a place for this, and it exists far wider than you'll ever imagine and far wider than you'll ever accept and the sooner that you accept that fact right the better off we'll all be instead of just leaning into all this uh you know alternative right that that exists out there and quite honestly we don't know the full impact of what those alternative landscapes will do in certain environments we've studied them in various locales and, and certain types of plants and selections and things like that but from a standpoint of the benefits that turf grass provides versus what those uh, alternatives offer, right? There is a trade-off. There absolutely is a trade-off. And I'm not saying that one's better or worse than the other. I'm saying that we don't know. We simply don't know what we're giving up. So to sit there and just say, well, hey, you know, you give this up and there's more biodiversity and there's less pesticides and this and that. Hey, I don't discount that, but you're giving up some other of the benefits, right, with respect to uh, you know, uh, you know, temperature calming and um, uh, erosion control and things like that, right? That are really, really important uh, with other parts of an ecosystem, right? If we start draining down silt and mulch and all kinds of stuff down into storm sewers and end up in waterways and things like that, what kind of problems is that creating, right? So uh, just random little things, random thoughts. There's no really coherent uh, line there other than that those folks need to accept that turf grass will always be a part of the fabric of society and not just because of pop culture and not just because of what's cool and hip and people want to have green, you know, dark green, lush grass and all this and big dick energy. It's the fact that it is the most functional crop of any kind that we have in the world today. Arrest my case. Sorry, muted myself. There it is. Uh, let's go ahead and check out this week's returns. We are back. And uh, first things first, I want to give a, a shout out to this lady. Um, Nutrient Ag Solutions, only woman plant manager excels in a male-dominated industry. Let me tell you this being a plant manager is a grueling task uh especially when you're when you're talking about uh in the in the fertilizer space because there are so many various processes that you have to manage that are uh highly 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 regulated that uh, i just i think she 100 deserves a shout out and being able to get it done uh, because this is another aspect of the industry that is very very difficult uh, to navigate in obviously nutrient is one of the big boys so not only to uh have a role here at uh at one of the most uh and i i use this term loosely cutthroat but i but i mean mm. that in, in, a, in the uh, a cutthroat sector of the industry and uh and be able to excel in it that is not an easy thing to do and that requires someone that is um extremely passionate in what they do and uh, and someone who is extremely organized and in a completely different way. And then also they have to have skin that is absolutely thick as hell. If you can only imagine what it's working like in that kind of place, 
in the ag industry that focuses mm-hmm. purely on the types of shit that Nutrient Ag does at this particular facility, which is a uh, a Loveland uh, facility, right? So you've got all kinds of different pesticides that are rolling through there, and, and, and as well as uh, herbicides. And I mean, you've got people that are breathing down your neck for product yesterday, and it is what it is. Especially in the in the in the waning aspect of uh, the uh, uh, supply chain issues we were facing. I don't know. I think she deserves a hell of a lot of respect for being able to pull that off because that is not an easy thing to do. I sure shit would not want that job. Not once, not ever. Round no, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's something too, that we've talked a little bit about this year on the show and the movement about, uh, women, in turf, right, in general, and obviously, you know, manufacturing sector is a far more underrepresented one than, than most others. But, uh, yeah, I think it's right now, I can't speak for the industry as a whole, but I think with uh, sports, in, in the sports field sector, it's like 3%, 4%, something like that. So uh, very much a male-dominated thing. And I think what uh, what we'll find is that uh, as people do see, you know, more folks like them that, that look like them, I, you know, identify with their background, their upbringing, you know, their views on, you know, work and career and things like that, that it becomes easier and easier and all that kind of thing. Um, I think the most important thing though, is that as we get these different groups involved is that, you know, we don't silo everybody and just say, well, Hey, you know, because you're, a, a, a woman or because you're a minority or whatever it, and it's not to uh disparage that right or or not recognize that that part of of who somebody is it's to say that you know we've not done a great job uh, you know endearing ourselves to those people at the same time though that we're all turf people right we, we can welcome those folks in with open arms and uh we all just need to hold on to the fact that we're turf people first and that everything else, you know, is just a put of who we are. And that, that, that's what that is. So, uh, it's good to see this though. Good to see at nutrient. I bet you that, uh, but she shouldn't take a whole lot of shit. I'll tell you that. And I, you know, I wouldn't expect anybody to in that regard. Right, Matt. <laughs> you damn right. Um, our yeah. second one here is investigating pest management on us golf courses in 2021 superintendents at superintendents at 71% of US golf facilities reported having either an integrated pest management plan or a pesticide application plan up from 66% in 2015 but equivalent to 2007 uh, IPM is a foundational component of golf course maintenance, best management practices, and combines uh, uh, key, five key principles. Identifying key pests, their host beneficial organisms prior to acting, establishing robust monitoring programs for known pests, establishing tolerance thresholds for various pests, evaluating and implementing control measures, and monitoring, evaluating, and documenting the results leading to continued improvement and reduced resource utilization. Control measures include non-chemical uh, cultural management practices aimed at reducing stress to the turf and conventional chemical pests pesticide use so um anyway what they go in and they uh, uh break it down based on various areas and what we can see is kind of the change over a period of time and the percentage of uh of u.s golf facilities that were surveyed here and you you, you kind of see some ups and downs that are statistically different you're seeing fewer people by a little bit that are no longer uh, monitoring weather weather patterns uh, scouting is still kind of rema- remaining the same 
Uh, pesticide resistance management strategies are still being employed at the same. I would hope that was actually would be going up from 2015 to 2021. But, you know, it, the fact that it isn't, that's okay. Uh, we need it's something that we can identify to, to, to work better on. Um, anyway, there's a whole map here that points it out and, uh, and provides a little bit of discussion on this and why we may or may not see this as well, too. Uh, when you see this, gentlemen, what goes through your head? What do you think is, is ultimately the good that we're seeing out of here? And then um, is there anything that sticks out to you that you're just like, oh, shit, that's not a good sign? Actually, you know, none, I of don't, this, I, none of this. Okay. To me, none I, of this is a, bit, is a bad sign because you see, uh, remember how I say the whole concept of IPM has been bastardized and misused. Sure. And that, you know, the results of this, you know, survey are, to me, it's, it's almost like a positive sign that these golf people are discarding all of the voodoo, all of the horseshit, and getting back to actual science and getting back to provable and actionable measures that actually work okay and this is kind of important too because you know when money is flush yes you actually are allowed to i guess be a little more experimental be a little more avant-garde but when money is tight uh the directive becomes stick to what works no horse shit no voodoo okay <laughs> sure sure you know i mean that that, that I'm, I'm looking at that from the point of like actual like golf and landscape operations there's all of this pseudoscientific voodoo stuff is fine and good when you've got money to waste and time to waste but that is not the current situation right now either. Mm -hmm. It may have been in the past, but there's a new reality out there. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> what are you seeing, Demay? Uh, I see a lot that's not changed, quite honestly. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been out of the golf business now for uh, 10 years. You know, and I, I still keep pretty close tabs on it. I'm, I'm not in it every single day, so I can't speak to everything. But, uh, you know, if I look down through here, at, you know, some of the pest management practices by frequency facility, there's there's not a lot that has, you know, appreciably improved or changed or anything like that uh, that is important. And so, you know, one of the things that calls out here in the conclusion that, you know, you need to have a written plan and all this and all that. I think one of the things that's going to be important and it sort of cuts both ways is one, you know, there still is, you know, an old guard and it was people that trained me, right. People that mentored me on how to, you know, go about my business. And it was some, you know, it were people that were, uh, at, at most facilities, uh, very protective, right. Of their turf conditions, meaning that, you know, a we're just going to, we're going to go ahead and throw a, a third mode of action in the tank. Cause you know, it's hot or you know what? Our interval is 14 days, but you know what? I don't know. I don't know about this one. We're going to go out at 10 days to go ahead and spray and listen, like, Oh, I'm, I'm completely guilty of that too. I, you know, I would do stuff like that 
all the time uh you know in my younger days is when i was a superintendent for sure and so i think you know there's some of that and then the other part too is without these written plans right of how things are being done and and why they're being done now you've got a whole new crop of people that are coming in and yeah they are looking at you know different things like predictive models remote sensing you know uh imaging technology <laughs> and digital imaging processing that can help you know you make better and more informed decisions and you don't need to rely just on your gut right that it it kind of takes a little bit of the mm -hmm. uh science out of or excuse me art out of the science and vice versa right so i worry about where the people that are coming up you know where do they get caught in the middle and how do we move towards something that's a little bit more uh i don't want to say it formulaic because you know nothing's ever concrete but i do think that there's a huge uh vacuum right now where uh Technology is going to catch up in a, in, in a hurry. And when I say a hurry, I'm saying like, you know, five to 10 years where there will be Time's uh, up, it's over. that too. And uh, the ability for uh, us to draw on, you know, computers and things like that, AI, whatever the case might be, to pick up and notice trends that we can't see or perceive with our naked eye or our brain power or a spreadsheet or something like that. And I think that will be uh, the next frontier. So. I'm sad to see that not a lot's changed. I'm not surprised to see that not a lot's changed, but I'm hopeful that uh, you know as things progress here between technology and uh, some some new uh, young folks that are that are coming into it that are younger than us even uh, that they'll try and do better than we did. Sure. Uh, with that, let's roll over and check out this week's mailbag. You've got mail. Oh, we do have mail, and this first one is from Jack K. Uh, he says, I'd like to thank you for sharing your knowledge and for all that I've learned by you by watching videos in uh, the Dirty Deeds Discord. Called on the show a year ago and talked to Rand Reiner from Central New Jersey, having an old lawn, I was asking uh, how nice an old lawn could look, and I've been trying to improve my 50,000 square foot lawn for the last few years. Last year's soil test attached showed a pH of 5.5, and I spread 4,500 pounds of lime last year. Via two apps, spring and fall, I'm very curious to see how the lawn reacts this year and hope we see a bit more rain for my non-irrigated lawn. This year's soil test attached showed the, B, the pH raised to 6.0, so I was planting another app of lime this spring. Also attaches my soil texture analysis. I've also chatted with Ray and Ryan via Discord about addressing the bent grass in my lawn. I'm planning to follow the instructions late summer to apply tenacity plus urea from DEF. And uh, depending on how the lawn looks, I'm thinking about overseeing with a good quality tall fescue blend. Uh, I'm basically writing to ask if you have any other recommendations for me based on what you see in the soil test. I'm just a DIY lawn dad, but capable of following instructions. I have a lawn tractor, towable sprayer, spreader, aerator, and dethatcher, and mow often if required. My blades are not uh, are always sharp, and I mow high. I'm mostly weed-free since having good success with Speed Zone. I'm not trying to compete with Ryan Nor, but I would like my neighbors to wonder why my lawn looks better than theirs, even though they pay for a lawn service. I'm especially grateful for all the money you've saved me by learning to focus on MPK and ignoring the buy my shit online. I was happy to put those settings towards <laughs> your St. Jude campaign. No brainer. We care lawn care.info and even better with the company match. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks again. Would love to have any recommendations you have for me. Uh, do you, oh, here we go. Matt, uh, Matt have you, you ever mowed high before? I, I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> <you> say that. <laughs> mm. <sighs> Notice how Ryan doesn't way. ask me that. Well, well, I know, I know what it would take to get Matt out there to actually mow, and I, I, I'm sure if you coaxed him and said, "Hey, listen, you know, there's a little, a little something out there mm -hmm. for you, you know, if you <laughs> yeah. go to the shed." 
Yeah. You know, these days, yeah, yeah these days it, it would have to be the excitement and, and adrenaline rush of like a, uh, a structure fire. Uh, but you know, when I was 18, <laughs> 19 years old, it's not to say a little, little cabbage wouldn't get me hyped up. Uh, mm -hmm. taking a look at this, is there anything that sticks out to me? Uh, no. Uh, no. I mean, sulfur is a little low, but again, if you're applying a micronutrient source that's going to be sulfated, like, you know, you're spraying iron sulfate or something, you're good there. You're already off the charts on iron. Uh, if you find a K source with potassium sulfate, that'll get you all the sulfur you need. Um, I know mm -hmm. you're at a pH of 6.0 and you're worried about liming again. I wouldn't, um, just between me and you, um, especially yep. since it's not, I would, Ray does. Ray would. I would line. Uh, yeah, because I, to me, trying to grow anything other than bent grass, fine fescue, or centipede grass at a low pH is a less than fun experience. I mean, that's just how it is. And so your best friend in this case is rather than all of the buy my shit supplements is lime low doses of lime twice a year you know 25 pounds uh, per thousand square foot spring and fall i mean that would be the item that makes the most difference on this lawn because you know what i'm looking at that is kind of uh significant <sighs> to me hmm. nutrient wise calcium Okay, I'm looking at the guy's calcium, and for me, I stop worrying about calcium once I see that calcium go above 1,500. That's when I stop worrying and stop thinking about it. And for him, he'd even be a candidate for an application, at least one application of dolomitic lime instead of calcium lime. Get that magnesium number a little bit up, just a little, not too much, but just a little. <laughs> there you go. I think you're going to get differing opinions there. I wouldn't worry about lime. I would just if you if you apply any of cane, you did it from potassium sulfate. I mean that that would be that would be my only thing. Uh, Look at that. Yeah, an arb. Oh, that that organic matter sky high. He's going to be it is juiced it? in the summertime. I'd go, uh, 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 I, I'd get you out there with some, uh, ammonium sulfate a little bit early and a little bit late in the year, you know, when, uh, your, mm -hmm. your race is not, uh, is active there and getting going. So, uh, just get, that'll get your sulfur up just a little bit. Like what Matt was saying, some potassium sulfate wouldn't hurt if you really wanted to FAFO, but, uh, yeah, AMS for the first app and the last app and just urea for, for me, I don't, I'm not worried about that ph i'm not really worried about a whole lot on this thing over here right now so easy peasy lemon squeezy spend that money on good seeds sir save it from all the buy my shit don't give in to the terrorists right <laughs> our second one here is from brian c uh he says good evening i've got an acre and a half of zoysia in south texas uh, it's 15 years old and it's my pride and joy. These last 18 months, it's got some problems. It appears to be fungus, which I've treated brown patch and just areas that look compacted are no longer growing. I've never dethashed or aerated. What should I do in addition to the fertilizer and supplements you support? 
I look, this is going to be really difficult to diagnose just on this. Brian, I'm going to highly recommend you send us some pictures or something that give us a starting point of where to start looking at this. If I, it, when you say that it's no longer growing, uh, to me, that sounds like nematodes. Uh, and that's the first place my head goes is uh, because mm -hmm. the, the only thing that I have ever seen that has completely couched uh, 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 zoysia grass into just no longer growing is, mm -hmm. uh, is a, a nematode issue. And especially with it mm -hmm. being 15 years old, it would not be shocking to me. And, uh, you know, where you are, South Texas, I don't think that matters to me. But uh, that's w one of those things that can creep in. And it's, it's, it's literally like it's growth regulated to the gills at all times. It has a, a, a specific uh, lack of color, lack of color response. Uh, no matter what you end up putting on it, and then it just ceases to grow. It's like it just sits there. It's alive, uh, and uh, and it's it's like it's growing on concrete for whatever reason, and and it just isn't growing at all. And it's Matt, weird. Matt, okay. I, Somebody's saying here's my and fix yeah. soil test yeah. and take all root rot is there as well. Yeah, I don't. I've never seen take all root rot just keep live grass from not growing though. T typically, that that okay. it, it'll be cooked at that point. Okay, my my usual like rapid diagnostic for nematodes on zoysia is how the zoysia reacts to hot weather and watering. Because here's what I typically see. I typically see a zoysia lawn that is like extremely trout stressed. But then the second I apply a little bit of water, it seems as if the grass comes back to life, like right before my eyes as the irrigation is on. And then when I dig a little deeper, I'm looking at the roots of the grass. What I notice is that all I see are the stolons and the rhizomes. And what's visibly absent from those stolons and rhizomes are all of these fine feeder roots. And the reason why those feeder roots are gone is because the especially sting nematode and lance nematode have taken those roots away from the grass. Mm. And so when somebody tells me zoysia lawn that was okay until it's not okay, oftentimes the issue is nematodes and Texas is actually one of those states where they have ideal conditions for nematodes actually mm. because they're warm. They don't freeze in the winter. Okay. They, they're like prime candidates because they're not under several inches of ice for six months out of the year because if you do have ice six months out of the year, then the type of nematode that you can have is different because then that is tends to be the cyst nematode or the root knot nematode, but those nematodes typically don't cause as much damage to turf grass versus a sting, lance, or ring nematode. Mm -hmm. And those nematodes are more common in warmer areas, so uh oh my gosh i mean my friend if that is your problem there's one more thing i'm going to tell you do not aerate mm. and the reason why i'm going to tell you do not aerate 
is because nematodes tend to occur very sporadically in the lawn, but you start sticking instruments in the soil and then lifting that instrument out of the soil and then sticking it somewhere that's not infected, guess what you're doing? You're basically inoculating the rest of your your lawn with nematodes, so please don't aerate. And the last bit of advice that I give you is also look at a soil test because the other issue that I noticed with zoysia is that zoysia, depending on its variety, tends to struggle when your soil pH is over 7. It also struggles if your pH is below 6. So you cannot know that just by looking at the soil, more or less, you've got to send it into a reputable laboratory and get that stuff checked out. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I don't grow so, soja, and I've been to Texas about exactly 12 days in my life, so I'm going to, I just sat here and <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, uh, if you like i said if you feel like sending the rest of that in by all means uh it is uh it is not going to hurt our feelings we'd love we'd love to uh to check it out so anyway uh that's all we're gonna head on over and hang out with our patrons and let them pick the title of this week's episode see ya